Hey guys, in the true spirit of hip hop, here's a disclaimer to start the show because uh, we're dealing with the genre that has so many fun uh, characters and moments. A just quick reminder that uh, the content here doesn't necessarily represent the views of our employers, just us, all that good stuff. And uh, David and I are 31 and 33, so this is a very washed show with washed references because we are both uh, truly washed. So enjoy the show. This is 50. Welcome back to Underemployed, part one of what will certainly be an epic two-part, dare I say, rock opera of sorts. A rap opera. A hip opera. A hip opera. That's way better than whatever I said. A hip opera, if you will. See, hip hop. I am available to punch up your scripts. Yes. And, and he'll gladly do it. Hip hop this month, well, we're recording in August, but released in September. Hip hop just celebrated its 50th birthday. And when you think of hip hop, you think of a few things. You think of this podcast, you think of the impact it's left on the culture. Yes. And you also think of some of the more interesting moments in the genre, which a lot has happened in 50 years. So David and I came up with this idea. Uh, and David, would you explain to the people what we decided to do? We wanted to do a countdown of the 50 most... Hip-hop moments. <laughs> most memorable moments in hip-hop. Yeah. Now, if you've ever listened to the show, you know when we do brackets, countdowns, lists... Um, they're not that serious. They're not... They're very important. Don't get it wrong. They're important for the culture and the zeitgeist. But we don't... We're not... This isn't a list of, oh man, when Outkast released Equemini, that really changed... The, no, 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 no. You don't know us very well if that's the case. Now, is this list perfect? Yeah, pretty much. 10 out of 10, no notes. Definitely. Uh, are there moments on this list... No that, skips. Yeah. Are there, are there moments... <laughs> are there moments on this list that we missed probably probably we're going to regret after we release the episodes but as far as i'm concerned this is the definitive top 50 moments in the history of rap and as, with that as our criteria uh let's get this started all right we're going to start with number 50 we're going to start with the moment that hip-hop got put on the map now when you think of rap when if someone asks you at the bar and they're drunk and they say what was the first rap song to the ever rap, reach the, the rap first rap single the chart, to, to the reach charted. to reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100? Maybe instinctively you think, oh, uh, the message by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, or maybe you think something by LL Cool J. But David, maybe you, what, think, maybe you think Blondie. Yeah. Even? What is? But David, what's the actual correct answer to that question? It is Pet Shop Boys West End Girls. Yes. If you think about it, technically speaking. Those weird little Brits are rapping on that song. Too many shadows, whispering voices, faces on posters, too many choices. If, when, why, what, how much have you got? Have you got it get If so, how often? Which you choose, a hard or soft option? Now, is it the most advanced rapping ever heard? No. Um, but what was in the 80s? Exactly. We're still post, like, you know, hip-hop got on it in the park. So we were, you know, we took baby steps in the genre. Now, is it the best rap song ever? No, but did it make its way to the Grand Theft Auto V soundtrack? Yes, it did. 
So we got to give the Pet Shop Boys their due for really helping put hip-hop on the map. Because when you think of hip-hop pioneers, you think of, what are the Pet Shop Boys' names? Thing one and thing two. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but but salute to them for kicking hip hop off because hip hop really had a first rough thirteen years until it was the Pet Shop Boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, now number forty nine. When Dave and I came up with this list, there were a handful of items that crossed over. We both independently we, suggested. We, we came up with we came up with ideas for this independent of each other. Yeah. And number forty nine is one of those, David. It is uh, the Super Bowl Shuffle. Yes. Now around the same time the Pet Shop Boys were lighting the Billboard charts on fire. The Chicago Bears were in the midst of one of the best NFL seasons of all time. They went 15-1 and and had won the NFC Championship game. And then, because rap was a fun novelty, the team decided to release a rap song together. It's important to note that it's called the Super Bowl Shuffle. They released it before the Super Bowl. So they were cocky and confident enough to say, we're so confident we're going to win this game, we're going to release a rap song. And I'm just realizing now there's another group rap song that absolutely should have made this list and is not. And we'll figure this out later on this list. <laughs> it might have happened down in Miami. But I have, David and I have not listened to the Super Bowl shuffle in a long time. But I have pulled up some of the lyrics. And let's see. Mike Singletary's on this list. Walter Payton's Sweetness is on this list. And David, if you wouldn't mind, would you at least read some of the lines that Walter Payton, one of the best running backs of all time, read? When he did his verse. Well, they call me sweetness, and I like to dance. Running the ball is like making romance. We've had the goal since training camp to give Chicago a Super Bowl champ. And we're not doing this because we're greedy. The Bears are doing it to feed the needy. Boy, that made the Pet Shop Boys sound like some rudimentary elementary school arriving. That is Walter Payton with the... With the gracefulness of him running into the end zone over fools. They say they call them sweetness for a reason. Yes, <laughs> they didn't call him. They didn't call him hard bars. Uh, I'm also seeing Refrigerator Perry uh, close out the song. Of course, you gotta have fridge close out the song. I'm reading this verse for the first time. Looking at the fridge, I'm the rookie. I may be lost, but I'm no dumb cookie. You see me hit, you see me run. When I kick and pass, we'll have more fun. Now. Again, this is not Rakim three years later kind of lighting the world on fire with his raps. But this was a seminal moment in hip-hop history because the Bears did win the game like, I don't know, 48-10 to 10 or something like that. They just crushed the Patriots. So it kind of worked. So can you argue with success? Hard to. Hard to. Can't argue with science or success. Number 48 this is actually another moment that Dave and I sort of just bonded together. And it's one where we don't have a necessarily a specific moment but you kind of couldn't do a list without it, David. The entirety of what Takashi Six Nine was. Yeah, David, explain him, to, like, because we've talked about him a few times on the show. Do I have to? All right, let's sum <laughs> him up. Let's just let's just say Takashi Six Nine. Just, you know, was, go- Google him. Was uh, he was everywhere for about six months, yeah. and then he ended up in jail. Yeah, and then got out of jail quickly, quickly because he snitched on everybody. And uh, Look, when you're when you're facing a what is it a thirty year yeah. bid? He oh, was salute facing, the hustle. <laughs> Listen, he was facing like a thirty year bid. He wasn't gonna see he wasn't gonna see the outside for a long time. Hot take, uh, underemployed pro snitching. Let's just you know we just. I'm not gonna say we're uh, pro no, yeah, just um, he is one of the most problematic rappers in the last ten years, which is really saying something. Uh, so 
Salute to Takashi for another moment that almost made this list specifically with him. Uh, last year when he got beat up in an LA Fitness uh, uh, locker room and someone filmed it. Yep. That's just funny. That's just good hip, pure hip-hop fun. Uh, does he have too many gang ties and all this? And does he have a lot of really problematic legal things? Yes. Does he have a bunch of stupid tattoos? Boy. Also, yes. Boy, does he. The definition of a walking, talking, stupid tattoo. But if you can't get the letter 6-9 basically engraved on your letters? face. Letters? 6 nine? Did I say letters? You did. Well, that's real hip-hop. You just move on from your mistakes. And that's okay, though. If you have half your face engraved and embellished with the numbers six and nine on it, that's hip-hop, That's man. commitment to the bit. That's this, I, which I salute. Number 47 is a bit, speaking of bit, that David and I have revered for almost 20 years. We stumbled across it years ago back in our Let's Find Some Loose MP3 days. It is Chris Rock from his 2004 comedy special, of which I'm blanking on the name right now, and I should have written it down. Chris Rock never scared. But does a bit about rap. He ends it with talking about how they can't find Biggie and Tupac's murderer, mm-hmm. even though Tupac, as he pointed out, got shot on the Las Vegas Strip after a, two, after a Mike Tyson fight. In front of Circus Circus, which was the most popular casino yeah. at the time. And uh, that Biggie, uh, as he points out, uh, Biggie weighed about 400 pounds, as he says, there's some reloading in that drive-by. Um, but a, I, uh, I'm gonna disagree with that just because hollow points yeah, do a lot of damage to the bodies. That's true. Even, even someone as plump as Biggie Smalls, fat isn't exactly the hardest thing to cut yeah, through when you're going when you're yeah. going 270 feet yeah. per second. Because muscle weighs more than fat. I'm sure that ties in some way. But denser. It is denser. So actually, good point. I'm I'm safe if I get shot at. Now, if that was enough, it'd be great. But the first part of the bit is what David and I remember and revere the most. It's where he talks about how uh, he loves rap, but it's hard to defend. So this special came out in early 04, and he said, the thing that he can't defend the most is Get Low by Lil Jon and the East Side Boys. I feel sorry for the guys that gotta pick a wife out of this bunch. Uh, Daddy, where'd you meet Mommy? Oh, she was singing about balls at a club. Skate, skate, skate! So, Chris Rock, for making us laugh tremendously, we salute you and we thank you. Honorable mention, Chris Rock's movie CB4. I've never seen CB4. I just know the proud to be black scene, which rap, which is fucking hilarious. Because <laughs> that's very much a, this is exactly what Public Enemy sounded like in the early 90s, yes. 46 is a moment I realized making, ordering this list this morning, I said, oh, we have to have a Kanye West moment. You can't, yeah, you, we can't. He has been he has been behind some of the most outlandish moments, not just in in hip hop, but in like pop culture in the last 15, 20, yeah, twenty years, twenty years, pretty much, twenty years. And we've covered a lot of them on this show. One that, of course, wouldn't make the list is when he said uh, that slavery was a choice, and basically, well, we did cover it. We did cover it, and we said uh, not a top not, moment. I was gonna say not not sure about that one, yay, but you do you. Um, this one, of course, stands the test of time. Uh, when when the Nolans region in the Louisiana area was ravaged by Hurricane Katrina, and a fundraiser was set up uh, across, telephone. yeah, you're right, a telephone across all the net, all the major networks, you know, all the networks, all the networks, and they got celebrities at the time to play, ask for your support to donate to the Red Cross, and then Kanye and Mike Myers, a classic buddy cop duo, an odd couple if I've ever seen one, and got Otter. Um, came out 
And Kanye was not willing to read from the teleprompter. So at first he kind of goes on this long rant about himself. He says, you know, I've been buying jewelry before I donated to Katrina, blah, blah, blah. Mike Myers a little shaken, but continues with his speech. An affable, a nice affable Canadian boy. Yes. And then Kanye drops the bombshell of the decade, perhaps. And David, what is his line? George Bush doesn't care about black people. The stunned silence from Mike Myers, and then they cut away to Chris Tucker, who also is absolutely befuddled, could be heard and seen across the globe. The silence was deafening. It was un... But this was back when things were still way more streamlined, so we all just talked about that line for, I don't know, the rest of George Bush's presidency. That's pretty wild that you could just go out there and make that kind of claim. And it's been, uh, it's still part of both of their legacies, dare I say? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I, I, think, I think that's fair. I think also Kanye and Mike Myers appeared on SNL a couple months later, and Mike Myers joked that... Uh, I got a lot of calls about it, yeah. <laughs> Mostly from the FBI and the IRS. <laughs> they uh, took away my American citizenship. <laughs> still got my Canadian one to fall back on, you know. Kanye for, this is a moment that also, in just in general, we thank you for years of bizarre, weird, not appropriate moments. Like when you interrupted Taylor Swift at the VMAs. That didn't quite make the list, but it was memorable, to say the least. Uh, Kanye's full of memorable moments, and even though he is arguably problematic. Memorable and forgettable. Yes, also yes. Yes, like his gospel album. Uh, now, let's you go. You mean every album he's made since... Dark Twisted Fantasy? I would say he's... No, he's had memorable albums since then, but I would say the last couple have been, uh, have been duds. Um, now, number 40, uh, five. 45, excuse me. This is hip-hop adjacent. It's on an album that is rap, even though it's a double album, and this appears on the side that is firmly not really a rap album. No. But we couldn't do this list without this. Uh, David, if you will. But it's from one of... It's a song from one of our favorite rappers yes. of all time. yes. It is On the Love Below. It is Andre 3000. And it is his song, Vibrate. Yes. And David, what's Vibrate about? Becoming the master of your own vision. Exactly. We've talked about this song a lot on this podcast because we, we both love the song. We both love the fact that the song exists more than anything because it's, a, it's actually kind of a very pretty lo-fi song. It's a nice, chill relaxing song and then you listen to the lyrics and it's pretty obviously about masturbation which I don't think a lot of rappers dare to make a song about it's a bold not time no Andre 3000 was a trendsetter and also a memorable an honorable mention for this list in general David do you remember when we did the outcast bracket with GOZ mm -hmm. and do you remember that Vibrate won the first two rounds it was in yes, and he did. was so upset about that and we were chuckling our stupid asses giggling. off giggling like schoolgirls because that's what the song represented to us. It represented power and beauty. It's about, I mean, it's about how you felt about Gasoline Dreams. That's true. Oh, oh no, that's not on this list. Thank God. Uh, number 44, we had mentioned earlier about the Chris Rock bit. The clean version of Lil John and the Eastside Boys Get Low. Now, the song itself is a classic. You hear it at a bar. You hear it in the club. Even today, at a wedding, you're excited, right? Yeah. Yeah. I am. I am going to. I'm interested to see now because that song's twenty years old. That song's yeah. Let's say yeah. pushing. Actually, 20. late late 02, early 03. So that, yeah, that song is pushing twenty years old. So Ooh. I would be interested to see, uh, you know, if you just like you surveyed college kids coming out of a bar, you know, uh, 
asked them about, you know, Lil John and the Eastside Boys, Get Low. Could they name another Eastside Boys song? I'm guessing no, but I do know having gone out a lot with my coworkers who were in their early to mid 20s, a lot of them, that song still resonates to them. Well, so does Usher's Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Good point. Yes. Now you're right. Do they know uh, Bia Bia or do they know uh, Roll Call? Maybe not. Can you snap your fingers, Eastside Boys? Uh, Lil John produced it, but that nah, was. Uh... Oh, no, that was Lil John. Actually, it was a solo song. You're right. Okay, yeah. I don't think I don't know if that was Eastside Boys, but anyway. that was a Lil John solo. Either. Um, now that song's great. Early, it's very memorable. But the clean version elevates this to the list. Oh, the clean version of Get Low is just absolutely outstanding. So the explicit version. The end of the hook goes, ah, skeet, skeet, motherfuckers. Ah, skeet, skeet, goddamn. Of course, you can't say it on the radio. So the clean version, the version they said this is what the general public should hear, is ah, skeet, 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 skeet. They just say skeet more. David, what's the famous line that we often quote about? Uh, white people don't, don't know what skeet means. They don't know what it means yet. And when they find out, they're going to be like, my God, what have we done? For lack of a better term, that's kind of just what happened. That we got away with that in 2003 because no one knows what it means. But it kind of uh, goes hand in hand with vibrate, pun intended, I guess. Mm, it's the end result of vibrate. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's the, that's the climax, if you will, of vibrate. Now, the fact that that song, that's what that song was deemed to be appropriate for radio. And I'm pretty sure it made, I think, number two on the Billboard Hot I remember 100. hearing that at middle school dances. Yes. Yes, we both did. It was a, uh, it was a Fuego song and uh, some spicy songs. But... You know what? That was hip-hop. Skirting around the rules of censorship. Bending the rules. Walking around the rules. Bending it like Beckham. That's right. Speaking of 2003, jeez. Skate, skate, skate! Now, number 43, the year is 1998. And the Wu-Tang Clan, one of our favorite groups of all time, nominate, their album Wu-Tang Forever nominated for Best Rap Album. But they lost to Puffy's No Way Out, which is an okay album. It's got some songs on there, but eh, Wu-Tang Forever is better. Wu-Tang Forever has stood the test of time, whereas Puffy's yeah. was... Yeah, it's got some singles that last the time, but not the album. Was the moment. Yes, it, that's a perfect way to describe it. So, Old Dirty Bastard, who will be making a few more appearances on this podcast, at least one more appearance on this podcast, um, later in the night, was disappointed that they didn't win. So he comes up from singer Sean Colvin, who I'm not familiar with, but, you know, late 90s, I'm sure he wrote some Didn't song matter. I don't... Exactly. Didn't, doesn't matter. He took the mic and said, Puffy is good. He, he went on a long speech, but he said, Puffy is good, but Wu-Tang is the best. I don't know what y'all, how y'all see it, but when it comes to the children, Wu-Tang is for the children. We teach the children. Wu-Tang! Is Wu-Tang for the children? I don't know. Debatable. Debatable. Is it a line that has, as David said earlier, stood the test of time? Absolutely. We can't not say Wu-Tang without saying Wu-Tang is for the children. Now, this moment didn't make the buzz that, at the time, that Kanye's made at the VMAs. No. But boy, is it funny. I think part of that comes to do, has to do with the fact that, like, there wasn't social media at the time. So yes. really, the only place you could see clips of this was on MTV. Yeah, and if if something didn't, if if the networks, if MTV, BET didn't want to make it a big deal afterwards, and it wasn't a big deal afterwards, and it just kind of disappeared. But ODB for uh, being pure ODB, and I'm pretty sure he wore a suit that night too. So that's, yeah, he did wear a suit. He, he wore, as David can see, he wore, actually, it's a pretty, that's a, that's, a good suit. That's a good suit. It's especially, a good suit. especially for ODB who, you know, could Fam be. Famously was not the most well-dressed. Yeah. Or well-behaved or well-thought. But we, we do salute uh, Dirk McGirt, who, again, will absolutely be making an appearance on this podcast. Now, no. 
Now, number 42, we do have to amend slightly because initially it was going to be how MC Hammer chartered his flights. However, you know, however we looked, he didn't own a private plane. He just like occasionally took it on tour and put his name on it, which was more common back in the day. However, what we can do for this list is include overall that MC Hammer, who at one point had $30 million to his name. Uh, what happened to him, David? He's broke. Went flat broke. I'm broke, nigga, I'm broke. And part of, part of why this is so noteworthy to me is that MC Hammer popularized the concept of, of rappers traveling with an enormous entourage. Yes. Bunch of dance, like eight to nine dancers. He had dudes who didn't even do anything. Yes. Just dudes who were on his payroll. Yes. Uh, he traveled with something like a hundred plus people. Yeah. If on you, tour. if you looked up money management, if you, if you took a finance course and looked up how not to manage your money, he's up there. Him, Antoine, w there are a few guys who like, you look. Andre Risen. Andre Risen. Uh, who, uh, who oh, Nas just dropped a line about Andre Rice on his new album about how... Because remember... Uh, oh, man. This could have made the list when... Uh, when uh, Who's the rapper in TLC? Why am I blanking on her name? Left Eye. When Left Eye burned Andre Risen's house down when they were dating in the bathtub. Oh, man. I'm already thinking of moments that we should have had that didn't quite make the list. But yes. Point being that MC Hammer going broke was a precautionary tale to what could happen to so many rappers. And he failed spectacularly. He was the biggest star in the world for a minute. Yep. And then within a couple years had zero dollars. Yep. Show me where the boats is. Ferrari test the roasters. The hammer went broke so you know I'm more focused. I lost 30 mil so I spent another 30. Cause unlike hammer 30 million can't hurt me. And it also led to, if you remember, Homer Simpson buying MC Hammer's house. That's right. In the Behind the Laughter episode. Nah, the Behind the Laughter episode was A+. plus. Outstanding. Uh, not hip-hop related, but if you have Disney+, Plus, go watch it. We got Pause this episode to go watch it, then come back to this. Number 41 was something that I had to get in for my own personal love. It's the early late 90s, early 2000s when throwback jerseys became... Tall tees, throwbacks. Yeah. What a time. Air Force Ones. Er, yeah. Or Air Force Ones, as Nelly called them. You know... White Air Force Ones. You could not find them in stores. Yeah. But throwback jerseys, let's remember something. Uh, early 2000s, do have to? I, I do for my sake, because I was a fat little kid. I, I, and what I loved more than anything besides eating was sports and sports history. So imagine a time where people are wearing baggy clothes, and those baggy clothes are representing old basketball uniforms, old baseball uniforms, old football jerseys. That spoke to me, because... It was everything I loved. It was disguising my body, and it was representing old sports. Did David partake in that? No. Absolutely not. Did David enjoy that trend, looking back? Yeah. Some of the jerseys were good looking. Exactly. Some of them. Some of them. Few and far between. Was a it, lot of them were dumb. Overall, was it a trend that was great? You could debate, and especially because here's the thing. John Cena, who we'll get to later in this, later in this episode, John Cena took that and, and ran the ball with it. So this movement birthed a bigger movement, the Dr. Thugonomics movement, which we will get to later. So in a way, we should be thanking the throwback jersey phase, right? I'll say yes. David's a hard yes. Now, number 40 is also a very special moment in underemployed history, David. Yes, it is. So it's... It is N.E.R.D.'s first album. In debut album. Of, and they're actually de debut single, I believe. 
I think so. Yeah, off this album, yeah. Yeah, and it was the first track off this album. Mm-hmm. So, David, why don't you take it from here? So, N.E.R.D., the fully fleshed out version of, at the time, the inescapable domineering sound of, of not just rap on the radio, but pop yeah. music yeah. on the radio. The Neptunes were... They... Was, was the Neptunes. It was yeah. Chad Hugo and Pharrell Williams mm-hmm. from Virginia Beach. Yes. And this was the lead single, lead track off of their debut album. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the song is called Lap Dance. Lap Dance. We've talked... We, this by, I think this is the second episode of Underemployed we talked about this song. And this moment that we're about to talk about. It is a... What was it? Third verse? I think, yes, because Pharrell does, Pharrell sort of does a Pharrell singing of the first two. Mm-hmm. And then the third verse, David, who, who, who comes in with the bomb of the verse? A gentleman named Lee Harvey. Now, we talked about this way back in the day. Number one, I didn't get the fact that he named himself Lee Harvey after the guy who shot JFK. Until... Well, he, might, he might have. He might not have. True. We don't know. <laughs> I'm going to guess he did. And I didn't realize, I didn't put that two and two together until 40 seconds before we recorded episode two. I said it then, I said it now. It's... Says more about me. Lee Harvey drops this verse out of nowhere and then has never disappeared. Never been heard from again. Not once. Does he have a Wikipedia? I don't know. He's apparent. There's apparently a mixtape floating out on the internet somewhere. Yes, that, we learned that from Reddit. That Chad at one point had posted songs from his scrapped debut album. Uh, Lee Harvey. It's not the most memorable part of lap dance because if you've ever seen the music video, you could, you know. Anyway. Um, so, Lee Harvey, though, left an impact because Dave and I laugh about it occasionally to this day. It's one of those weird, random, remember Lee Harvey. Because that's all he did. He had one He had one very fire verse and then never yeah, showed up never again. Never heard from again. So, Lee Harvey, if you're listening to this podcast, and I hope you are, uh, come on the show. We'll, yeah, why not? We're pretty much just going to ask you about lap dance, but I mean, it's a good song to ask you about. Uh, the creative process. Yeah. Did you go to a strip club? Yeah, did you? To get motivation. Because when you think of Harvey, you think of a Harley. When you think of Harvey, think of a Harley. Uh, number 39. Uh, this requires some backstory. So it's probably, it's very well documented that Eminem and his baby mom, ex-wife, Kim, didn't have the best of relationships. So it was a oh, little, really? you know, tumultuous, some would argue. Um, both cheated on each other. Both were verbally abusive. Both, I think, were physically abusive. Eminem wrote a song on his absurdly popular Marshall Mathers LP where he literally kills her. I mean, he doesn't, he, he figuratively kills her, but he, on the song, is literally killing his, his wife. Now please, bitch, please. Someone called those marital issues, uh, especially when she then, uh, I believe, attempted suicide when he performed the song live a few months later. It is not the healthiest of relationships. But those two lovers just couldn't stay away from each other. So David, what did they do in early 2006, years after the turmoil? They got remarried. Yes. This moment to me symbolizes true hip-hop because hip-hop's about love. You can't deny true love, and you can't avoid true love. And to me, these two remarrying after some arguable rough patches showed how good it is. That they can put aside their differences for the sake of themselves, their love, their daughter, everything. Now, do you remember how long it lasted? Like six months? Uh, That's generous. I think it was three months. But... That's okay. What it symbolized was more important than what it actually did. Um, so I salute Eminem and Kim for remarrying and re-sparking their love and interests. Because who among us hasn't had those moments where we're like, we're moments of doubt with either a friendship or a relationship, 
And these two said, no, we powered through it and we made it work. So David, I don't know about you, but I feel like this is a beautiful symbolic moment of hip hop. Sure. Yes. I appreciate that. Number 38. Uh, the 2014 Grammy Award for Best Rap Album. A lot of good contenders from late 2012 through most of 2013. I'll read them off. Yeezus by Kanye West. Dog shit. Yeah, I, I, I'd go above dog shit, but I, half of it. I, there's six songs I like, four songs I don't. That's not a good ratio for me. Magna Carta, Holy Grail by Jay-Z. I liked. As far as Jay-Z fans go, it's not, it's not top of the discography for most of them, but I liked it. Good Kid, Mad City by Kendrick Lamar. Most would say it's a classic. It's hard to argue that it's not thought of as a classic album. It's, here's the thing. It's, it's in his top three albums, and it's not three. Yeah. No, it's... Again, I'm not the biggest Kendrick Lamar fan, but it's hard to deny that that album has stood the test of time and is beloved. I'm, I would never pretend it's not. Uh, Nothing Was the Same by Drake. Not my favorite Drake album. Has some bangers. And Drake was becoming a superstar at the time. Like a megastar. And The Heist by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. Which I have not listened to. I've listened to the other four. Probably fine. Macklemore's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's definitely not yeah. even the ne- best album of that bunch. But which album won best rap album that year? The Heist by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. Now, Also not the worst album out of the bunch. I was going to say. I was going to say. It's fine. That wouldn't make the list otherwise. There are plenty of years where the Grammys have a winner for best album. You're like, ah, whatever. I don't agree with that. David, why, do you remember why this album, why this choice makes the list. Uh, this choice makes the list because Macklemore decided to text Kendrick Lamar about it. Yes, and and then post that on social media. My had God. he texted it, had he texted Kendrick about it and not posted anything? Again, nobody remembers. Yeah. And it's one of those like, "Hey man, just embrace your victory. Don't worry about it. Kendrick doesn't care." But like you said, he posted about it to be like cuz he felt so bad about the backlash he might have gotten that he's like, "Guys, I know. I know. Look at me." Macklemore this is, I mean, this is from the same guy who made two songs about white privilege and then disappeared during the George Floyd uprising. But, I, you know. I'm, I'm more so, my favorite Macklemore thing is still that he wrote the song about I thought I was gay in fourth grade because I wrote really well. That's still really, that is still really funny to me. I laugh then, I laugh now. Same Love is one of those like, hey, I'm trying to be on your side, but. <laughs> You're really making it hard, man. <laughs> Uh, which they then made fun of in Popstar, Never Stopping, where uh, Connor For Real makes the song where he insists that he's not gay, but if he were, he'd want equal rights, but then keeps reminding you he's in fact not gay. It gets me so angry on behalf of them. I feel passionate, not gay. So I pray for them and I say for them, we need to make a change, not gay. I see it clear as day. This area is not great titties. We need equality and for all to see that this is the new way, not to gay. So Macklemore... Just accept that you won. It's okay. You could have been like, oh man, I think Kendrick should have won, but I'm I'm honored to win. Is what all you had to say. Yeah. And instead, you had to just really overdo it, my yeah. guy. Content farm it. Yes. Number 37, we go in the Wayback Machine to 1992. The year I was born, a year David was a mere two. Uh, one of the most iconic, I say the word iconic for this list a lot, but I can't help it. Albums in rap history is The Chronic. It's Dr. Dre's solo. It introduces the world to Snoop Dogg. Nothing but a Arguably G-ing. one of the, like, the five most important hip-hop albums. I would not, and I probably wouldn't argue that. And it's, by the way, a great album. Still a great album. Still pretty good. So, what The Chronic did beyond introducing the world to Snoop Dogg was also introducing a... Introducing the world. To... Specifically white folks. To, to what phrase, David? Uh, a D's Nuts joke. A D's Nuts joke. Hey, did, did, did what's your name get at you yesterday? 
D's nuts. And then it was the uh, the intro, the sampled intro after that that Dave and I quote frequently. We won't quote on this show. I'll probably put it in the show. She said, well, Daddy, if I had some nuts on my chest, would those be chest nuts? I said, hell no, bitch, you'd have a dick in your mouth. I, you know what? 31 and 33, I'll still say it. Still makes me laugh. I know, you know, should it? Maybe not. Probably not. Does it? Yes. 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 Number 36. We talked about the Neptunes. And we talked about the influence Pharrell and Chad have, which mm-hmm. David's, David's right, cannot be understated. A, fantastic. B, cannot be overstated. Did I say understated? Yes. You're right. Cannot be overstated. Yeah, something, it was, I think at some point, it was like uh, six of the six of the top ten tracks on something Billboard like were, were produced by the Neptunes. Yeah, and again, this is, we're talking about, they'll work with Jadakiss, they'll work with just Britney Spears, Britney Spears, Shakira. If you listen to "I'm a Slave for You," that beat still goes to this day, and that was that's 21 years old from Britney Spears. Now, Justin Timberlake for his debut album had left in sync, was trying to make a name for himself. His debut single, "Like I Love You," I didn't like at the time. I've warmed up to. I like the song now, and you know, they wanted maybe a little bit of a harder verse to kind of offset. So, David, who did Pharrell Peg? to drop a guest verse on Justin Timberlake, fresh off boy band Justin Timberlake, Like I Love You. Uh, clips. Yes. Pusha T and Malice. Now, does it make sense? Yes, because they're on the same label. And obviously Pharrell was about to executive produce their debut album, which was coming out around the same time. May have even come out a little earlier. It makes sense. They're both on Arista. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. However, again, it cannot be overstated that Justin Timberlake is still... I'm sort of like my boy Squeaky clean bubblegum pop boy. Exactly. And he, he would evolve over time, but in 02, firmly squeak clean, as you said. And, uh, and, and, and Pusha, and Pusha was, was Pusha Ton and Malice Kilo. Yes. Uh, they were not squeaky clean. <laughs> not in any all. way, shape, or form. So what a collaboration. That that is, when you think of weird collaborations, 02, Timberlake, and Clips are a Funny. Go ride with me, you deserve the best. Take a few shots, let it burn in your chest. We could ride down, pumping nerd in the deck. Funny how a few words turned into sex. Yeah, a guy who's a guy who at the time in Justin Timberlake was more famous for being on Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. And the guy who wrote the McDonald's jingle. Yes, that that now that's true. When you say it like that, good point. <laughs> that actually that collaboration makes even more sense now in hindsight. Wow. See, we're uncovering great hip hop moments even as we speak. I will say, too, for his next album, Future Sex Love Sounds, Timberlake did a song with 3-6 Mafia, uh, who we'll get to later but in the show. Both from Memphis, so yes. it makes a little yes, bit more exactly. sense. Yes, exactly. And by that point, Timberlake had really delved in more into hip-hop sounds, and so it made sense. But this really set the bar for great collaborations. Number 35. This is another one David and I both, independent of each other, thought of. And we haven't thought about this since it happened about 15 years ago. It is... David, why don't you take it? Once upon a time, Britney Spears was married to a man named Kevin Federline. Mm-hmm. He was a backup dancer for her. Uh, this was really in the throes of when she had a lot of things going on. Yes, uh, and we're not going to we're not here to comment on that yeah. because, quite frankly, it's none of our business. Yeah, and neither of us really care. Yeah, um, what we do care about is that the very the the charisma vacuum of a man that she married mm-hmm. was one of her backup dancers uh, named Kevin Federline. 
decided to uh, capitalize on the fame he had from marrying her to put out a rap album. And you might think, oh, well, maybe he has resources. Maybe he can at least, like, you know, do some bells and whistles to really just make the album serviceable. Now, I will say, full disclosure, David and I have not listened to this album. In fact, if I include a sound bit from this from the album on this podcast, it'll be the first time I ever listened to that's a song. But the reception to that album, dare I say, David, was frosty. Yeah, at best. At best. It's rightly regarded as one of the single worst albums to ever be made. Uh, and this is 2006 when albums were still being sold, not at the rate they once were, but still had some sales. It sold 6,000 copies its first week. If you sold 6,000 copies first week today of pure sales, that's still a bad week. This is 06. So the public said no. Uh, the critics said no. And I believe, if I recall correctly, that Kevin Federline was supposed to go on a tour. I don't know why, but he did. And they had to cancel the entire tour because no one was buying tickets because who would want to see Kevin Federline? It was, like, uh, it was like Jordan Sparks' tour. That last tour she went on where they had to cancel it because they couldn't even sell out like 500 seat. They oh, they did couldn't they? Even, they couldn't even quarter fill like oh, 500 seat venues. That's that's actually sad almost because I don't I haven't heard bad words about Jordan Spike. She won American Idol, right? Years ago? I don't know. I think so, yeah. But yeah, no, that's a... Uh, who boy. Now, this is a story that I think will be new to most of you. I think this will be new to David. But I remember reading this story in the Washington Post the day after it happened, and it stuck with me for almost 20 years. It's 2004. The Atlanta Hawks are hosting Family Night at the, I believe then, Phillips Arena. Yeah, the Phillips Arena. You know, discounts, family entertainment, all this stuff. During a timeout... Ticket packages. Yeah, exactly, exactly. During a timeout in the second half, the... Hawks start playing Party Up by DMX. Here's the problem. They start playing the uncensored version of Party Up by DMX on Family Night. If you, if you don't remember all the lyrics, if you just remember the hook to Party Up and not the verses, it's not a family-friendly song. Well, you may have been to jail before, suck my dick. No, there is, there is at least one uh, reference to sexual assault. Yeah. It's, uh, and sodomy? He says, uh, suck my dick twice in the first verse. Hey, niggas remind me of a strip club. Every time you come around, it's like, what? I just gotta get my dick sucked. Within, like, three bars of each other. That's right. It's a very mean song. He talks about, they probably didn't get to this far in the song because it's the third verse, but he talks about, uh, Listen, your ass is about to be missing. You know who gonna find you? Some old man fishing. Grandma wishing your soul's at rest, but it's hard to digest with the size of the hole in your chest. That's a song, that was a Billboard chart-topping song because DMX's key was just get a beat that sounds good and say some real grimy shit over it. Just the filthiest thing imaginable. So if you accidentally play an uncensored song on Family Night and there's one where it says maybe a shit in there and you're like, uh-oh, uh-oh, let's, let's bail. That's okay. But playing the uncensored version of a DMX song is about as not good as it gets. However, as I said, it has stuck with me for 19 years and I will remember this until I'm in the ground because what a great moment. Number 33 is... A, an, a, a song that is so near and dear to the hearts of David and myself. We mentioned the Pet Shop Boys earlier, and yes, they're the ones that trend set, but some could argue that Curtis Blow was one of the first to really get hip-hop on the map. The Breaks, uh, other songs that I'm blanking on right now. And of course, 
this was a little later, but of course he came out with basketball, his ode to the song, or to the sport basketball. David, remember, why is basketball his favorite sport? Because he loves the way they dribble up and down the court. David and I have referenced this song, I'm gonna say, small estimate, 15,000 times over the years? Probably. It is one of our favorite things. I mean, Curtis Blobot had, uh, Curtis Blobot has a, a, an open invitation to yeah. be on the pod. I'm glad you mentioned that. We finally, it's been five years almost, but we got him back out. I pulled him out from the closet. Let's wheel him in. The Curtis Blobot 4100 who yeah, needed some tweaking. He oiled up. Uh, now, Curtis, what is your opinion on the sport of basketball? All right, let's send him back into the closet for another five years. But that's what we got out of it. We got a robot who spouted phrases from Curtis Blow's basketball. Can you replicate that anywhere else? No, because it doesn't make sense. Maybe Lil Jon's shots. Maybe. We actually probably should get a robot with Lil Jon's shots playing at any time. But Curtis Blowbot... But you don't drink. Uh, and I don't want to do a lot of those shots. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you're 33. It's, uh, so, yeah. So, Buttery fair, nipples? No, thank you. Fair enough, yeah. Three wise men? Absolutely not. I do love that drinks have the weirdest names in, of all time. But we salute Curtis Blow for basketball for it kind of being a meme and kind of being a beloved song. It, Bow Wow covered it for Like Mike. And, of course, it led to the Curtis Blow about 4100, a beloved member of the underemployed family. Uh, actually, you know what? I forgot. We brought uh, Curtis Blow back, back briefly for the uh, state of the show recently. So, you know what? It's good that he's getting back out and back warm again. Number 32 and 31, kind of a two-parter. Yep. We, this is another one where David and I both, again, overlapped and said, this has to be on the list. 32 in, is just a general overall, David, it's 50 Cent just destroying Ja Rule. It's 50 Cent versus Ja Rule, just as a beef. Yeah. It was one of the, it was one of the funniest because... Oh, is it? Ja was on... Was he on Murder, Inc. at the time? Yes. He was on Murder, Inc. with Irv Gotti. Mm-hmm. Ashanti. Ashanti and some other folks who all yeah. played hard. Yeah. And then 50, who... 50's exploits are legendary. Yes. Yeah. Shot nine times, yada, yada, yada. He came in and, boy... Ja Rule was really big. Like, Ja Rule... Was on the charts. He, he was like, we can attest because we were around at that time. Like he, a lot of Billboard singles. He was. He was a big deal. And he was really starting to lean into the kind of thug love sort of like singing. And Ja Rule not a great singer. I'd also argue not a very good rapper. So either. I don't think anybody's gonna disagree. Yeah, I know. That's why. That's why fifty. Maybe Ja Rule. That's why Ja Rule basically punched, but in boxing terms, left himself very open for a counter punch. And fifty uppercutted him into the third row. Absolutely. Uh, back down on Get Rich or Die Try and just absolutely eviscerated the man. And it was it was one of the most one-sided brawls of all time. If you've ever seen the George Foreman-Joe Frazier fight, the famous down goes Frazier fight where he get, Frazier gets knocked down six times in two rounds. Yep. That's pretty much what this was. This was yep. Foreman knocking down Frazier I'm six times. 50 calling him, cookie mon- calling him the cookie monster was... Uh, a, a, a jab that I don't think anyone yeah. has ever read. That was, he put him down on the mat right that one. That was it. It's over. There's nothing you can say. I'm back in the game, shouty, the ruling conquer. Sing for hoes and sound like the cookie monster. Which leads us into number 31, because as David said, the beef never died. The no. beef never went away. Never. A few years ago, and I want to preface this by saying, this story might not be 100% accurate. But who cares? It's funny. So we're going to go with it. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, Josh... We are famously, you know, we are famously beholden to journalists. Exactly, yes, standards. yes. 
I, the fact that I have to be a journalist means when I'm in my off hours, I'd like to not be one. Um, so a few years ago, Ja Rule performing a show as David alluded to with Jordan Sparks, one of those small trying to mount a comeback. Yeah, which you know, hey man, there's a there's an audience for Ja Rule. Go Touring for it. Touring is one of the few ways that artists are actually able to capitalize and make yeah. meaningful financial gains off of their efforts in the past. Now, is Ja Rule at this time performing in front of a few thousand people like 50's currently doing for his tour? No. But hey, a few hundred people, maybe a couple thousand, still not bad. What 50 Cent alleges to do is buy 200 seats to Ja Rule's concert so that the first few rows are completely empty. And as 50 said, it wasn't that expensive. <laughs> now again, is this 100% true? I don't know. Is it one of the greatest stories of all time? It sure is. Yeah, and then didn't, didn't 50 just sit in the middle? No, that was a Photoshop, although that would have okay. been very funny if 50 had just showed up with popcorn and just taunted him the entire time. You know, it's great that all these years later, and now we're, again, 20 years into this beef, basically. Oh, longer than that, but really 20 years since it hit the mainstream. It's still going. It's still strong. It's, it's still pretty one-sided. And also very... Ja Rule has never gotten a good shot really in on 50. And I kind of like that it's continued because it's still funny. 50's just very petty. Which again, oh, we'll get to that later too. Uh, number 30. Uh, the tip drill video, which David and I have referenced to each other many a time. It led to one of my favorite tweets from you of all time. Because Nelly, uh, back in the, let's say the BET Uncut days, made a song called Tip Drill and featured a lot of uh, uh, good looking ladies. Caused a lot of controversy, but did create a lot of memorable moments. Um, specifically one. Specifically one, which I'll say, because I know David's not comfortable saying. There's a moment... I'm not, it's not that I'm uncomfortable saying it. Yeah. It's that Jack found it profoundly more amusing than I did. It's where... It still does. I, it's still great, because it's still, we still reference... A, a couple of us old heads still fair, reference we it. we do. So, Nelly at the end uh, takes, takes a credit card and swipes it through a woman's butt. That was, that was really groundbreaking in 2003, <laughs> dare I say. Now- Next level objectification. It was very, oh, that song is extremely misogynistic. I said it must be ass, cause it ain't your face. I need a tip I need a tip And it, it, it somehow gets more misogynistic with the female verse on it, which is always even more impressive. But I remember Nelly did a commercial about 10 years ago with the Honey Nut Cheerio, and I said, I don't remember what I said where I said that, like, I wanted... Oh, yeah, I said I want to see him recreate... Because he recreated the Ride With Me song. Yep. And I said I wanted to see him recreate the Tip Drill video. And David tweeted back one of my all-time favorite tweets, complete with credit card swipe. <laughs> Which I did a really funny visual of him, credit card swipe. Basically, I'm saying all this to say there's a reason the song made this list. Is because it was iconic and it also still makes me laugh. It was it was a video that I think I think BET Uncut only ran it like a handful of times. It got in a lot. It, it got in a lot of hot there water. Was a lot of hot water. That was you know. And this was and and, and BET wasn't exactly like a normal standard cable channel. Yeah, because they had to run it at two and three in the yeah. morning. And, and it still was yeah it, a lot of stir. Yeah. Because um, this was God, this was what like oh four oh five. Like, yeah, like early oh three. So like again. That's where that kind of stuff has a place on cable and like yeah. oh, late night, same with Comedy Central and stuff. So the Chip Drill video watched so another video could run and we will get to that later in this list. Number 29 is again a moment that I don't, I don't think David knows about, but I'll, I'll talk about. The year is 1999 and Jay-Z 
is set, who is now a megastar. He is set to release his latest album, Volume 3, Life and Times of S. Carter, which actually is the album cover that's on my phone case right now. It's supposed to release it in late December, but in early December, the album leaks, which isn't ideal. You know, you're trying to sell a lot of records. This was a big problem at the time. So, Jay-Z, not a fan of it. He had to rework some of the album for the U.S. version so that there were a couple of new songs, et cetera, et cetera. Jay-Z suspects, maybe confirms, that Lance Unrivera, a record executive, has leaked the album. So, in a club, does Jay-Z confront him? Sort of. Does Jay-Z sue him? No. Does Jay-Z have his legal team take care of it? No. Jay-Z instead, in the middle of a nightclub, stabs on right in the gut. Jay-Z, one of the biggest artists in the world, decides to take matters into his own hands by stabbing him in the stomach. And Jay-Z then sort of denied it for a while and then had to admit in court, I stabbed Lance Rivera. Now, is there a lesson we learned from this? I don't know. I we all seen how Jay-Z ended up. He's a billionaire now. Yeah. So maybe stab a man in the stomach in yeah. the nightclub? You know what? That's our advice. Underemployed's official advice. No, don't go, go don't stab do that. someone don't in a nightclub. David David's no, advice. Don't, don't do that. Stab someone in a nightclub and just see what happens. What's the worst that could happen? Thank you, David. Don't do that. For uh, the love of God, don't do that. Number twenty-eight. Uh speaking of things you shouldn't do. Rick Ross, who uh I'd say is a caricature, kind of. Yeah, a caricature of a, yeah. a caricature of a man. Yes. Um how to deal with Reebok for their sneaks. The second rapper to have a, a sneaker deal. Third, actually. Third? 50 and, uh, right. and Jay both had both sneakers at the time. We had Reebok. I actually had a pair of uh, the S.Doc Carters. I know. I actually wish I had them. So. Although, uh, they wouldn't fit my feet. But um, So Rick Ross has a deal with Reebok. And then the Yo No remix comes out. I forget who does it. Uh, Ross, uh, I think it was DJ Khaled. No, no, it's, um, oh, it what? no, 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 no. Here's what it was. It was Rocco, who I, I don't, that was the only song. Future mm. and Rick Ross. Mm. Rick Ross. Famous, famously non-problematic rapper, Future. But somehow not the most problematic part of this song. Because no. Rick Ross, at Amazingly. some point in his song, has the iconic line. I die over these Reeboks. You ain't need no Put Molly all in her champagne. She ain't need no I took her home and I enjoyed that. She ain't need no Now, surprisingly, Reebok didn't really love being associated with a line that was pretty much about date rape. Um, so Rick Ross lost his Reebok deal in what has to be one of the most classic examples of self-sabotage I've ever seen. Yeah. No one was saying, hey, Rick, you got to do this line. Yeah. Uh, no one was saying, Rick, you got to mention your shoe that sponsors you right after that line. Yep. No one was saying that. But what did Rick Ross do? He did both. He died over these Reeboks. So <laughs> as problematic as that line is, once again, it created a moment that will live forever. And also learned a lesson to other rappers that, hey, maybe don't involve your sponsors in uh, problematic lines like that. Maybe also don't rap about drugging people. Also a good idea. In general, just, yeah, don't do it and don't rap about it. Seems yeah. like a good strategy. Yeah, specifically don't do it and yeah. then also don't rap about it. Number 27, also underemployed, legendary moment. Uh, I know David does not agree with Stretch. this. Stretch. But it did win the song for Undy for best song of the year. Stretch. Uh, when Drake on Certified Lover Boy sampled Wright Said Fred's I'm Too Sexy for the song Way Too Sexy, I texted David about it the second I heard that song. Because 
It's a song you didn't know could be sampled, but if someone was going to sample it, it is current Drake, who is just embracing being Drake. Now, did David David care for the song? Not particularly. Did I? Yes, I did. I mean, here's the thing. It's not that I didn't care for it because I didn't like the sample. I didn't care for it because I don't really care for Drake. Exactly. But the song, oh man. When you get a Canadian fuck. Alright, fuck you, buddy! When you get a sample that weird... That was a weird one. And you can embrace the weirdness of it... I salute you because that's the spirit of underemployed, being weird. And Drake, I salute you for way Somehow too sexy. Somehow got Kawhi Leonard in that video. That's the other part that helped boost it up this list. I still don't understand. Yes, the recreation of a boy band scene with Drake, Future, and Young Thug in the desert in white get-ups with Kawhi Leonard. White silk. Yeah. Plus Kawhi Leonard, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. It's beautiful. Number 26. This is another moment... It's like the Jay-Z moment I know David's unfamiliar with, but I want to flash back to 1999. Nas is getting ready to release his album, I Am. One of the, I believe the, the second single on the album is Hate Me Now with Puffy. Great song. It is a great song. Still hyped to this day. The video for it initially featured Nas uh, in a scene where he is dressed as Jesus, being not fully crucified, but like that. Puffy who's in the video, objects. He's Catholic. He says, you know what? I, I really don't want this in the video. Puffy's Catholic? Or he was Catholic. I think he's Christian. You know, grew up Catholic, maybe something like that. He says, I really don't want this in the video. I thought about it. I don't want this in the video. However, when it comes to debut the video on TRL, which as Dave and I remember, was the, the biggest deal for a while, that is the version that made it. The version where Nas is still as Christ and getting crucified. Puffy, not thrilled. So he goes to the office of Steve Stout, who's been referenced by J. Cole, a bunch of these guys. He's a, he's a manager, I think. And as the legend goes, as not the legend, I think it's confirmed, Puffy takes a champagne bottle and hits it over Steve Stout's head. Couldn't kill the man. Yes. That's an, that is actually what happened in the Ray Lewis incident, where Ray Lewis's crew got hit by champagne bottles. That's what started the fight. Yeah. That's a big, that is not a small... I mean, I mean champagne, champagne glasses pressurized and fairly thick like yeah you're looking at if if you were if you to if you were to turn a champagne bottle around and like shake it up enough and you know release the pressure out of the out of the the top of the bottle like a like a nozzle for a jet engine or a, a rocket yeah and that thing propels forward and it hits you in the face you are you're unconscious yes there is like almost no way you're not unconscious and facing some sort of like multiple broken bones in your yeah. face. What a hip hop. The bottle alone yeah. is like three pounds. Because what a hip hop moment to say again. I'm not gonna not gonna take this to court. I'm yeah. not gonna deal with this verbally. I mean, I'm sure they did. It's the instinct. I'm going to hit you over the head and with a champagne bottle. That is such a late nineties stall too. It was because it's such a late nineties thing of like I've got champagne in droves because it's the late nineties. We're all embracing the money lifestyle. Yeah. What a moment. Uh, both, I think, have moved past it, which is nice because if I got hit in the head by a champagne bottle, I'm sure, I'm sure Steve Stout moved past it after a hefty settlement. Yes, I would hope so. That was also right before Puffy uh, got in that thing where there was a shooting outside a nightclub and he was charged with it initially. Puff had a rough couple years, but that's okay. And you know what? Let's end this episode with we'll we'll go to moment 25. We'll go to moment 25 to end because yeah. we we've been going way back in the Wayback Machine. This one, let's just flash back to, what, uh, five, six weeks ago? Yeah. Cardi B, uh, again, problematic, but legendary moments, is rapping at a show, and a fan 
throw this right by the way to get on a sidetrack there's just all these moments now at concerts where fans are just throwing stuff at which stop it please stop for a lot of reasons not even i'm not even gonna say please i'm gonna say fucking stop it yeah if i see you doing that at a show i will absolutely 100 percent dime on you to security da- david's go- david's gonna hit you over the head with the champagne i am bottle. not gonna hit you over the head with a bottle but i will make sure that no. security knows it was you he's gonna he's gonna, he's gonna tell puff and there's gonna be some trouble so cardi gets i think a glass of water thrown at her i can't remember or cell phone one of them Something gets thrown at her. She takes umbrage with it. And in response, throws the mic right at the fan. Which Dave and I fully approve. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, it's one of those things. Like, if you're going to, if you are going to throw something at somebody who's performing, you, you surrender to me any right to complain when you get retaliated yes. against. And it's, I, I have the same opinion for pro sports. Yeah. Don't start shit. Won't be no shit. Exactly. Like, Heckling, fine. Yeah. Whatever. Keep it. Keep it quippy. Keep it funny. Don't yeah. get particularly personal. Yeah. Don't. Don't get. And don't get too dirty in front of kids. I always. I'm a fan of not cursing. Yeah. Kids, I'm. But. You know. I'm. I'm. I'm less. As you get older, I think you appreciate more. It's like, hey, man. Just. I am. I am. I am. I'm not as beholden to the watching your language around kids thing, but I am willing to. Yeah. I'm willing to understand. The, yeah, yeah. Understand why. But in this case, don't you know? Don't throw stuff. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. That's why Dave and I are fully on board the fuck around and got find out train because we F-A-F-O. don't don't do that. Especially by the way, Cardi B has been known to uh fuck ar- to fuck around with some people before. Yeah, she's uh, been known to fuck some people up. Yeah. She uh she ain't fucking around. So uh yeah. we salute Cardi for doing what should have been done a long time ago. Put yes. a kibosh on all the fan yes. throwing shit. David, I think this is a good place to leave off. I think it's good. We've got we got half a list left, and we have got. If you thought this list was good, maybe you didn't. I don't care. I think it's great. We got some even better moments coming up. Heat. Some DMX moments. Some John Cena moments. Shaq may or may not be on this list a couple of times. Oh boy, Fifty Cent makes a reappearance. Oh man, some moments that have been part of underemployed lore for years. Oh, you you people, you dependents are you you've got a long, you've got a good list ahead of you, and we are so excited about it. So until that time, whenever that may be, uh, keep it hip hop, keep it one hundred, and uh, you know, don't hit people over the head with champagne bottles. Correct. They can't touch us. Why niggas bring the ruckus? Because release dates bigger than Mandela's, motherfuckers. Try to bring your life, but motherfuckers won't dare.